ladies and gents, we are Book Record Beer Season 5, Episode 8. eight. Why, you say, did I just pass the mic? Well, you'll find out in just a few moments. That was a um, Wilhelm scream, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah. Did it sound? Was it close? It was uncanny. Wow. It was canned, is what it was. <laughs> oh! Aha! Um... Oh, we have a cast for you out there in, in listener land. Uh, I am joined today, as always, by my good friend, Daniel DeFranco. Say hello. Hello. Way to be reserved. Way to yeah. keep it in. Um, and we have a extraordinarily special guest today. Uh, as I was saying earlier, the, the only friend I've made in my life without meeting in real life. Uh, Michelle Brooks, say hello. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. Welcome from Portland to Philly via a satellite in outer space. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Not so um this is this is awesome. I, I'm very, very excited. Um you've had a hand in this uh quite a bit. Usually this season we've been doing uh Nick gets a cast, Gregorio gets a cast, Daniel gets a cast, and you have found your way into at the very least the music section of this, correct? Mm -hmm. I guess so. I think you have. So <laughs> what is it that we're going to be talking about? Um, this is a, a, a DeFranco cast, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes here. You have chosen James Salter's 1979 novel, Solo Faces. Correct. Followed by Sparkle Horse's 2001 release, It's a Wonderful Life. Yay. Correct. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> uh, and we are doing a couple of different beers, as has been the case during the um, the year of Rona. Um, Daniel and I will be drinking the Rodenbach Grand Cru, which is a, also correct. Uh, it's a red ale, which has some sour notes to it. And Michelle, tell us what you're drinking. This is this is as micro as it gets, correct? It is. Yes, it is straight out of Portland. It says Portland, Oregon, Earth. In case you're wondering, um, this is the Ecliptic Karina Peach Sour. Ooh, that's I've already, awesome. I've already gone in there a little bit, and it is uh, quite good. I I love, I love peach anything, frankly. Like, my favorite candy for a really long time was the peach rings. And, uh, you know, if we're talking about instant oatmeal, peaches and cream, delicious. And, you know, can't, can't beat it. So uh, I am very, very jealous that you're, you're imbibing that right now. I got my little lungo going with a, a little bit of bushy Mills inside. I put my espresso one in, inside my Miller Lite can here. Get fucked. And it that is, is gross. That was a, not a good idea. Jesus Christ. What is I wrong with hate you? it. That is, I don't even know what to say to, to you ever, like, right pour, now. Like, I don't, you know, I'm you not like sure a, I know who you are. <laughs> You get like a shot of whiskey and like you just kind of pour the half of it in your beer. Yeah, I, I, I'm well aware of what whiskey and beer is like. If, if you want a boiler maker, I'd say go for it, man. I'll have one with you. If you want a chart, which is what I'll call that, <laughs> um, then, then no, thank you. I will not join you on that journey. Uh, speaking of journeys, um, I'm going to introduce these guys in a way that I think is fitting for what we're looking at here, given the real life of, uh, you know, I guess the primary songwriter for Sparkle Horse and our um, main character for Solo Faces. These are uh, going to be characters or people that tempt fate 
that's how I would introduce these guys uh, because I think that's fitting for for the theme anyway. So, um, Daniel, mm. I uh, I'm gonna introduce you as Prometheus. Oh my liver! Because that dude <laughs> tempted fate so hard, suffered for it, but was still like throwing up middle fingers. Like you know what? Don't give a shit. Don't, Don't give a shit. Did what I wanted to do. Psh, better for it. Zeus, um, baby, yeah. you made these things. <laughs> take care of them. If you're not going to take care of them, my the dude. What the fuck matter with you? You said you wanted a puppy, and now that it turned into a dog, you don't want it anymore. Exactly, yeah. I mean, with humans, though, that's more like one of those like tiny alligators or something, I would say. But the, the analogy stands, yeah. I'm I got gotcha. you. I'm for it. And uh, uh, Michelle, I, and again... I, I'm not sure that this is going to be fitting. I don't want you to take uh, offense to this if this is not one that you'd like, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I know Daniel has been super pissed at many of these introductions, so uh, it's par for the course if that happens. But you had a like little blurb in, I believe it was your Twitter profile, and it was something about like smoke in your hair and things of that nature, right? And all that uh, like conjured for me was this image from um, Oliver Stone's film, The Doors, where as a film student, Jim Morrison is walking the, cl- the edge of a very tall building. And like, you know, essentially he tempted fate. Isn't that- so Jim Morrison would be mine for you. I mean, how can I say no to that? I gotta love that. There we go. That's awesome. Shit. Awesome. I feel like had I said that to Daniel, he would have been mad at me. No, um, I, but I it I wouldn't love, fit you, Daniel. I love the You're doors. Prometheus. Fair, fair enough. And I, I'd be more of a Ray Manzarek or Robbie Krieger anyway. Absolutely. You wouldn't be Robbie Krieger. You would be Ray Manzarek a thousand percent. Guys, are we in K or what? This is bullshit. <laughs> Follow me on two. Let's do it. Left hand. Come on. Desmore. Desmore. Like my left hand. Just follow the left. All right. So You're go right, fuck off. My left. Fuck off. And, um, <clears throat> and that, here's, my, here's my true fuck off. Um, if I was to introduce... If I was to introduce Nick Mahalik as somebody that tempts fate, um, I would introduce you as an anti-vaxxer. Oh. And the reason... Jesus Christ. The, the reason I'm going to do that is because... Um, and I, I've not forgotten it. You dissed Sharon Van Etten's album so hard. <laughs> and you just don't know what's good for you. All right. And that's kind of where I'm going with that. That... Um to tie that in that way, I think absolutely I, I got to get behind it um, because I did. And, um, you know, it, I, I stand behind what I said, but your connection is great. It's yeah. Solid. So move to Florida and um, keep listening to your, um, I don't know, 311, whatever the shit is you're getting down with. All right, uh, that was fitting. That was the, yeah, well done. All right, you, well, you made it through that gauntlet there, Michelle. That, that could have gone any, any or any way, really, honestly. Some people don't come out unscathed from that one. <laughs> uh, but let's jump in. Let's jump in. So this is such an interesting choice, Daniel, because I'll be perfectly honest, the first 50 pages or so, I didn't get why you chose it. Like, I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure. And I knew and I've known that Salter is essentially the writer's writer, if you will. That's what they say. That, that comes up in quite often every conversation about him. Well, I think it's just because of, you know, sales. 
yeah. really. When, when, you, when you look at the numbers, right? If you're looking at bottom line shit, mm-hmm. that's why. Um, I have been in many bands that have been your favorite band's favorite band. Been told that before. Ooh, that's right? braggadocious. And Ooh. Well, all right, I'll, I'll own that one. Actually, yeah, I'll own that one. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's but 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 when I started digging in, I saw that about Salter, mm-hmm. and then I finished the book. I was like, oh, I see why, because there's things here that aren't on the surface and aren't readily apparent unless you are versed in what he's doing. Um, and I think that that comes in music, that comes in all forms of art. Um, and so I started to get your choice. Long story short, my explanation coming to a close. I started to get your choice a little bit more, which I really, really appreciated um, because I think it's a really just a, a absolutely solid one. So do you want to give us some background for our dear listener that might not uh, be as versed in Mr. Salter? Yeah, so um, you know me. I love Wikipedia. And um, if you like Wikipedia too, give them give them some money. They need it. And if if you don't want to, then I don't know. Just don't fucking give them money then. Right. Um, so I'm just going to read the first paragraph that, or the first two paragraphs of his uh, bio on Wikipedia. Um, uh, James Salter is dead. That's actually the first line in his bio. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably, James Salter has... Well, no, no, he did legally change it to Salter. Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, wait, is this a Christmas story? Um, James, and it's not because he's Jewish, so it's definitely not. Or maybe it is. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> James Arnold Horowitz, June 10th, 1925 to June 19th, 2015. Better known as James Salter. Um, his pen name and later adopted legal name was an American novelist and short story writer. Uh, Originally a career officer and pilot in the United States Air Force, he resigned from the military in 1957 following the successful publication of his first novel, The Hunters. After a brief career in film writing and film directing, in 1979, Salter published the novel Solo Faces, which was famously discussed on Season 5, Episode 8 of the podcast Book Record Beer. He won numerous literary awards for his works. No, it's in there. Uh, including, <laughs> you can edit these whenever you want. I know, I was going to say you edited <laughs> it three minutes before yeah. you began the <laughs> in, Including belated recognition of his works originally criticized at the time of their publication. So the reason I wanted to give us a little bit of background on Salter is the dude was 90 when he died only six years ago, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, this book and his other writings definitely follow in the tradition of of Hemingway of um, um, probably uh, I don't know who's who's that guy Henry Miller okay um, maybe Norman Mailer a little bit but yeah def- Mailer's a little bit more more linear. sexy I guess yeah yeah he's also a little more linear like and we can get into it but that was one of the things I thought was very unique to Salter was that nonlinear sort yeah. of uh, approach I, this. What I'm getting at is this like overtly masculine voice. Right. And yeah. um and, and I'm one of his contemporaries who I think is overrated. I can't stand them. Um Richard Ford. Okay. I feel like they present their work uh from this I guess now this kind of tired woe is me um, white dude, life is hard. Uh, kind of perspective. It didn't. It didn't. I don't think it's life is hard so much as it didn't go the way I was promised, 
and I okay, yes, good, good, and that's and that's more what I was what I was thinking as you were pushing back. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> as I changed your mind, you changed your mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like because you know you've every door is open for you, so where do you right. go? And and I right. think a lot of Salter's work um, focuses on, I guess, the mundanity of of suburban life or of just kind of middle class living. Right. Anyway, I feel I, like that's that's a good background of just kind of what most of his work is, but he does it so artfully. That was his sort of like, I don't want to say Achilles heel, but the fact that he had four kids, was married, lived in the suburbs was something that when you look at interviews with him and you you see some of this stuff, that was something that he actually saw as a detriment to his creativity and his artistic ability because he had a studio in New York and stuff like that. And he would look at these guys who were living it Mm -hmm. much like Rand is living it in the story and in it. And the difference between almost vacationing as an artist Mm -hmm. and actually being committed to the craft 24 hours a day being like literally cocooned inside. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that that's one of those things that is really unique to that time because it's a different kind of conflict to make the choice to be fully committed or not. Whereas now you almost have no choice. The choice is, is that much more drastic because to even live to like survive at all you have to cobble together 40 fucking jobs you know what i mean like things are it's 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 the same i can't really articulate this well but it's it's the same but it seems like the stakes are way higher except in both instances you didn't know how high the stakes were like mm-hmm. now we don't and back then they really didn't either um and they were just a different different set he, he got to retire from the Air Force because he had his first novel, which was successful. It's like, yeah, is, that does. That's like this world of like the 50s where does it diminish the conflict, though? Does it diminish that feeling of inadequacy? Probably not for him because that's his life. You know, what are you going to do? That's yeah, no control of it. Like, who's going to say, man, I wish my life was harder. <clears throat> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't I don't fault him. I'm just saying like that's he comes from this generation and this group of writers where they could write just about kind of like boring shit and really sift through it. It is the the, the particular time period and, and sort of movement, I guess, that's happening at that point. Yeah. Like that is that is something that's very, very present right then is, is, that, is that's what's going on um, on sort of a, a grand scale, which always surprised me given that he wasn't, you know, in terms of sales as popular as the other ones who were doing essentially the same thing. Yeah. You know, so that's, um, that's the intro. <laughs> do you um, do you want to talk a little bit about what the book is about? Absolutely. Well, let's see. Uh, initial reactions, Michelle. Did you did you have anything like off the bat? Like, did this feel like a very clear, just middle aged man voice to you? Hmm. Yes. Um, but <laughs> but. I think it's more complex than that. I actually, I quite enjoyed the language of this book. I thought it's just gorgeous. And it's very um, direct, but also he has incredible figurative language. Um, and I, I, I do get the the middle-aged vibe for sure. And I think it's mainly in how he um, talks about women, mainly is where that comes yeah, yeah, through yeah. a lot. Um, 
But that said, I think the I think it reads super smoothly, especially for kind of some of the strange um, qualities of the book, it being kind of omniscient, the way that it kind of bounces around from character to character occasionally, from mm. from plot to plot. Um, I thought it was just very smooth. I was telling uh, Daniel, this is my second time reading it through. I read it six months ago um, on Daniel's recommendation, and I wanted to read it again to be kind of ready for the conversation. And I was like, yeah, I'll just skim through it. And as that was happening, I just found myself just falling right back into it and reading the whole thing over again. So I think it has nice. a kind of a quality that's pretty immersive, actually. Yeah, I to me, that was the like nonlinear aspect of it, where you would be in a moment and then one of the characters would be mentioning like an event and you would be in that event and the dialogue would go back and forth between that character and like their father from the event that they're remembering at that moment. And then you'd yeah. be right back to the present. Um, and that, that to me was something that it didn't throw me because as you said, it was so smooth to get in there, mm -hmm. which is just from a writing perspective. And again, that's to the earlier point of like, when you know how difficult that is to do, um, it doesn't necessarily, it didn't pull me out as a, as a writer or a reader, but it certainly was one of those things where you're making mental notes of like, mm -hmm. that's the way you do that. Actually, that's like, that's something to, to keep in, in the front of your mind. If you like, if I go, Ooh, I got to do that thing. I'll like go back and go, how did he do that again? And then how can I sort of like, um, make it my own? Yeah. Cause I thought that was really, that was impressive. Salter is, he's a good writer. You know, it's, um, it's 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 a little discouraging. He's a pretty good. He's, he's, he does what he does. His words are good. Well. Yeah, he does, he knows the things that he's trying to do with the thing. So yeah, a little bit of background on uh, Daniel. You want to give us some some background on the yeah, story? You so want just, me to give a brief? Uh, yeah, I'm bang that out. So, uh, so uh, solo faces. My understand. I couldn't find the article that I read um, years and years ago. This book was born out of a, a script that he wrote for Robert Redford. And yep. Redford said, nah, not enough ass fucking. And yeah, uh, <laughs> not into that, dude. <laughs> uh, what? It reads like was a that film your Robert Redford impersonation? <laughs> that was pathetic. Um, <laughs> I, like mine are better. Uh, anyway, but so, it does read like a film script at times. So, yeah, so. Before I knew that, I was like mm -hmm. thinking that. My understanding is that Salter actually and i couldn't find that the proof of this maybe i'm making I think it, it was up. in the paris review article perhaps, they mentioned that perhaps but salter went on a couple of actual rock climbing expeditions with some noted rock climbers mountain climbers and mountaineers um what comes across in this book like the language of rock climbing right um some of that does come across as sort of almost documentary like mm-hmm which mm. is which is one of the the attractions of of this type of thing for me anyway. Anyway, so this book is I wouldn't say it's a book about mountain climbing, but it no. focuses on our main character Rand, Vernon Rand, his pull to climb mountains. And mm -hmm. and it's not and it's not like the the what what was it Hillary Edmund, why did you climb it? And he says because it's there whatever yeah. paraphrasing right it, it doesn't seem like that there's something different about this and i can't quite put my finger on it i have a lot of stuff highlighted and dog-eared pages here but that's kind of it it's about how you just shun everything in your life for this singular pursuit of whatever it is that drives you 
Mm -hmm. And you're doing it not even for yourself. You're not doing it mm -hmm. for the climb. I, I got to find the line because he says it, yeah. it doesn't really happen until after. Whatever it is you're doing isn't until after the thing is done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because when you're in it, that's what you're actually sort of living for. And you don't actually get the uh, significance of it, I guess, until until after. And it's interesting because this is, of course, you know, based on a real dude. Um, called Gary Hemming, right? Yeah. And he famously saved a couple trapped German, mm -hmm. uh, you know, climbers. And it reminded me, so as I'm reading it, um, I was like, man, if this is based on a real dude, it follows the moon and sixpence pretty closely, which is about um, the artist uh, Paul Gauguin, if you're familiar with him. Um, mm -hmm. So he leaves his family and the stock exchange at like 40 and he goes and ends up living in Tahiti. He goes to France and he ends up living in Tahiti and just his painting. And he ends up being, you know, revered as sort of like he was a contemporary of Van Gogh. And, and he, he's, um, he, he's, he's essentially viewed as this, this genius uh, afterward. But, um, you know, the book Moon and Sixpence is about this guy Strickland. Very much the same. He's just he must paint. And in this way, he Rand must climb. Yeah. And to me, the way that it all, you know, moves and, and how he'll drop everything and how it's, it's like this feat of strength. I began wondering about that quote where it's like every generation has a, has a war. Like there's something mm -hmm. where, and it's, it might be particularly, you know, hyper-masculine or something like that, but like that you, you need to, you need to test yourself against something and see if you can. Um, and typically it's been war, right? I mean, you look at every generation, just about it's been war where you go, I was able to do that. I was able to survive it. And now I'm justifiably alive essentially. Yeah. It's, this is like a meditation on existence and I guess trying to find meaning in existence. But this guy Rand, he, he's not fighting a war. He's, um, his existence is about well you make up your own if you don't actually have a war to fight yeah exactly right you create your you create your own challenge you create your own war and and you look at a lot of a lot of things like i think that's why sports has become so 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 um just like heightened and now serial because killers. We, ha we have nothing else <laughs> but we but really you, you there, there's 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 no battles, you know, so we have this invented one that we're not and we're, we're doing it by proxy. If you're a sports fan, you're not even on the field. You're just. Yeah, but that's why people say we right. Like we won last night. Yeah, we kicked their ass like you didn't do dick. You, you're just an <laughs> asshole with somebody else's name on your back. You know what I mean? But but people get behind that shit because they literally have no war to fight to prove themselves or I, anything like that. I like that quote. You're just an asshole with somebody else's name on your back. I love it. That is, <laughs> that's like a lot of shit in life. I, yeah. Yeah. So there's this, um, I'm going to read this quote and then Michelle, we're going to kick it over to you. So get, get prepared to like say smart things. All right. Oh, great. Right, <laughs> Furiously um, taking notes. So there's this one line on page 160 where they're talking about Rand. Rand is not, um, he's not a philosopher. He's not like a super intelligent guy. He's just, he's, really what amounts to a day laborer, a wanderer, yep. a vagabond that knows that he just wants to climb mountains. And there's this great line that I think really cynically 
colors the whole book. <laughs> and this line is they're talking about Rand, these two women that um, Rand slept with. They were mm -hmm. friends. He kind of just did what he wanted and then split. I think it's mainly an ability to look good in old clothes. And I missed that the first time I read it because I was so enamored by the writing and this kind of singular pursuit of, of man that it's like, fuck, is it all just faking? And your, mm -hmm. your, your quote, you know, your thing you just said about, you know, an asshole, someone else's name on your back just reminded me of that. And let's, I, I think we, that's worth keeping in the back pocket when we're, when we're looking at all of this, um, I don't want to call it like philosophy, but there's definitely a, uh, uh, a, a mode of thought that's presented. Well, I think book. that's a major fear for him, right? Because that's how the book uh, ends, with him literally saying, I'm a fraud, right? Or I'm a fake. Um, In that, the last couple chapters, he, yeah. he, 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 says he says exactly that. And, and, of course, you know, I mean, do we want to... The end is, is, I mean, do we want to say... Uh, we, we'll get there. We'll get there. Back I mean, and forth? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, my, my question is going to maybe open up the conversation a little bit more than just my ruminations on it. <laughs> um, what are your ruminations, Michelle? What, what do you think is at the heart of this book? Me, as, as, as a man who's um, probably about a little, a little younger than Salter was when he wrote this, um, identified way differently with this book than I did even eight years ago. So I'm just curious about like, what your perspective, like how do you react or identify with um, the theme of this book. Yeah, I I found it really fascinating how Rand's character is so he seems so fixated with the idea of validation, and then yet he hates it at the same time. Once he actually gets the validation of kind of being this hero, he he kind of um, rejects it in some way. But with he like Cabot, that shit. <laughs> but with Cabot, he seems to like he's obsessed with him in this way. He wants to have the validation. Mm -hmm. of this person to acknowledge that he can do these things that he can best this person even because he's his competitor but he also needs that person to be um at like his at his level or he he loses all confidence in himself and i i actually really relate to that in some way um i'm somebody who is always looking for validation in my creative work at the same time i don't ever want to be perceived and it's this real struggle that I face um, as a creative person. And that was something I didn't really relate to Rand a ton in the book, but that was something that I, I did actually feel um, quite strongly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's such an interesting thing because he needs somebody better than him around. There's all these surrogate, um, mm -hmm. oh, what the hell is his name? It just flew out of my head. Cabot? Uh Cabot, yeah. So there's these there's these surrogates of him that are, are way less than, and they're cowards sometimes. And and then he he has to almost like double what he was intending to do to make up for their cowardness or or, or their mm -hmm. lack or ability or strength or whatever it is. And he just looks at this guy as this sort of like colossus, you know. Yeah. And, Wait, who and looks, he looks at Cabot as a colossus. Yeah, he mentions it a few times. Like you're so much stronger than me in this, that, and third. Yeah, but. What's presented is that he, he basically humps Cabot up that mountain. Well, I mean, there's there, there is that really pivotal moment yeah. with that, with the lightning and the yeah. you know, mm -hmm. all and, that going on. Absolutely. And, yeah. and Cabot didn't have the awareness to quits. say, I, well, no, Cabot doesn't quit. Cabot 
the boulder hits his head mm-hmm. and Cabot yeah. says, no, I can go on. He can't admit that he wasn't strong enough to go on and it fucked them both. Right. I, I, later I was on, actually Rand talking about that particular scene. Later on, I think that's where we get into that conflict of when you see the guy that you were looking up to, the person mm-hmm. that you were looking up to has in your mind quit and right. then you try and bring them back from the dead essentially um that i mean that's essentially when we're nearing the end there right but yeah um, yeah so what happens when your heroes fail when their true form is shown I mean, that's part of this right yeah it's all a fucking lie you're it's just an ability to look good in old clothes yeah absolutely the yeah. the 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 guise of it all is is really really interesting when we see like how it touches every bit of his life. Like it is d- directly at the center. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I agree with you, Michelle. Like I certainly identify with that quite a bit. Like I have been a person to surround myself with people that are interested and do the thing that I do, but are much better than it yeah. th- than me at it. You know, I mean, it, Daniel being the exception, of course, but like when we're, <laughs> when we're, <laughs> When we're Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But like when when I started seeing that that was the trend here um, and that he needs to have somebody better, because guess what? If there's nobody above you, it is terrifying at the top. Uh huh. You so- know, and and it's a place you actually don't want to be. And I think that that actually fits into the premise of it being rock climbing yeah. you know i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if, if it being rock climbing is actually a huge metaphor for just that like always trying to get to the to do the most difficult thing the purpose is always to get to the top to best mm-hmm. the mountain right yeah um but of course we know that there are times when when, when you cannot do it and actually being up there especially by yourself yeah. and we see that happens in the story as well mm-hmm. um does not it's it's not what you want like you need other people mm-hmm one of the thing you just you just you jogged you jogged me here, man. I think we're getting to some good stuff. I'm excited about this now. I wasn't for like this whole time, but now I am. <laughs> I yeah, like, and it's just gonna start here. Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Season uh, this, five, episode eight. No, I wasn't excited at all, but now I'm ready. Rand's experience, and we can. I mean, you could substitute a guy or you know a person focused on rock climbing you could substitute that with with anything a guy trying to build a tech company you know steve jobs or a guy trying to um um have sex with teenagers uh matt gates you know you could whatever your hero's <laughs> journey is right um there it's almighty it's so it's almost like he is in a cult because he was looking up to uh cabot and these other other folks um, Did you ever it, have that as a younger person? I, I have you it looked now. up to your buddies and you, you, and, you, and you went that what the fuck is wrong with me? These guys knew less than I did. But you need this. And you, I, that's the that's the that's the paradox of it, though. Like, it's you what need I'm getting it, at. but it's also dumb. So Go for it. it reminded me of Forrest Gump when he's running fuck, and he's gonna send it this way. Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want to say that so everybody can hear? I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> um. It reminded me of Forrest Gump, that scene where he's running and all those folks are following him. And then mm. Gump is, he only, he had no reason to be running. He just said, just one day I woke up and I just felt like running. I ran as far as the, 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 the county and I just kept going. And then the pier kept going. 
turned around and kept going, etc. Not cetera, a soul on the planet that hasn't seen this movie. But I, I um, <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Um, so he stops running. All these people follow him, and then he stops running, and he says, "I think I'm tired now, or I'm tired now. I think I'll go home." And then the guy says, "Well, what are we supposed to do?" Yeah. Yep. And that is that's fucking Rand. Mm-hmm. Right. He's doing this thing because he was following his people. Um, but then when they kind of stopped, he's like, fuck, I thought you had it all figured out. Because the guy that said, what are we, what are you, you know, what are you supposed to do now in Forrest Gump? The first thing he says to Gump when he runs, out, I saw you and I said, here's a guy that's got it all figured out. Yep. And Gump's like, I'm not a smart man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that here's, this is a line I actually picked out that, that goes right with that. You could not tell from looking at him that he had had that he had been lonely and that he had stood at society's edge, envying its light and warmth, wanting to be part of it, determining not determined not to be. None of this was in his face. And that, I mean, I think strikes a chord with what you're saying is like he he's self-aware and also deceiving himself simultaneously. Mm-hmm throughout this and and that really i mean that's at the core of, of, a, of a lot of creative people but i mean just about everybody like who's like so few people are genuinely contented mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like with the way things are like are you actually contented when you look around and go this is how the fucking place works yeah this, this is the machinations of, of this is this is thousands of years of evolution of civilization and thought and, and human history. This is what we did with it. This is, that, this is where we fucking end. Like how many people are actually contented with that? And, and how often do we deceive ourselves into thinking it's good enough or that we are? Yeah. So um, the, the original title of this book, I, I just looked it up right now, uh, was solo faces, uh, colon, or the shitty ways we deal with our discontent. <laughs> 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 I mean, Solo Faces is great because it's like the the Lone Rangers or something. Yeah, so so Solo Faces because there's more than one, right? Um, but uh, it, it is a very great title in that in the end, no matter how many people you're following or how many people are with the journey, um, you are who are on the journey with you, you're still you're still alone. We are all that guy um, running behind Forrest Gump. Right. And sometimes that. we're forest, sometimes we're running behind them. And that's all I have to say about that. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> yeah. That was that was for both of us the probably arguably the two worst Forrest Gump impersonations. <laughs> Dude, I was half there. I'm like looking at this line that I should have said earlier, which is I made this note that was like he's climbing because he's shed- shredding or I'm sorry, shedding the trappings of ordinary life to tempt it to look over at death and feel restored for a time to put up with the mundane and tolerate this existence that we have for a little bit longer. That's like great. he needs, he needs to shake himself. And, um, that Man, went that, to your earlier point of like, why the fuck is he doing this? You know? Yeah. And, and we, we get the sense that he feels that like he knows that he's, he can't articulate it cause he's not a smart guy. He's not dumb, but he's not, uh, like an articulate, he doesn't like read. I'm, they do mention that there's like books wherever he is. When he's, when he's been in that tent for a while in France, yeah, all of his possessions are in that tent, right? And it's it's early on in the book, you know, maybe the yeah. third of the way or something. But it's like it's just books, like 
a handful of books it seems and then like some clothes and that's yeah the but the spines are the spines are facing the tent yeah it's like to hold up the tent it's yeah like not yeah, he, it's, it's more like all you see <laughs> um michelle I, we saw you scribbling some notes what do you um what do you got for us I was not scribbling any notes. Oh, you were just, dude, <laughs> she was like, fuck this. She was drawing a picture of... <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm just listening. Don't well, let, do let a book add... record beer again. Yeah, these guys are fucking assholes. Um, no. With their, with their pretension. But here, here's the thing. To, to, the, to the, the, quote, or the, the note I, I made of looking over and... To and, your and own brilliance. Yes, pontificate. To, to restore yourself, right? Is this always... And this was the question that I... I that I gave myself after having written it was like, is this always how it's been or have we made it this way? Like that in- idea of inventing conflict so that we have some fight to overcome, to feel like restored and, 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 and actually like we have some worth like is, is, is this the way it's always been where we need some sort of uh, Russian, Russian roulette, I guess to be able to, you know what I mean? To, to, mm-hmm. to be able to, to go back to the mundanity of, of life and, and, and say, well, I'm fucking juiced up. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I've, I've refueled myself for the, for the next six months or so, uh, or however long it, because that's the thing about people, right? Somebody, they mountain climb once, right? They, they, they summit once and they're good for the rest of their fucking lives. And other people need to do it every month, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I know, Right now, I'm I'm I've been dying a little bit each week that goes by that I haven't that I recognize how long it's been since like I played a show, yeah. like that that's the that was always the thing for me. Like, did I win over that motherfucker at the bar that I wanted to when the show started and I knew he wasn't gonna fucking turn around and I finally made him turn around? Um, that I really identified with and I think wow, like has this been the way it's always been? Like when we were in survivalist mode did we need these artificial challenges these invented challenges to continue to to live or was the mundane actually like a respite that we longed for and we strove for you know yeah this book is really depressing if you let it get you down (laughs) michelle what do you think about that do you think that's i'm actually curious i want to ask i want to ask two questions one your just general thoughts on that and two um do you think that's just like a dude thing I don't think it's just a dude thing. Your voice I, I don't went think, up on that. I, I definitely... I, 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 I don't think it's just a dude thing. I, I do think that maybe there's more of an expectation that mm. men go about it that way, but I don't think it's just a dude thing. Um, and thinking about what you were saying, Nick, um, I kind of feel like... I feel like potentially this is something that came that was born out of um, achieving some form of mundanity. mundanity. Um, I, I don't think, I'm guessing like in hunter-gatherer mode, it was all about the, you know, about survival. And right. then once we were able to actually settle down and have some form of security, I do think that probably may have cropped up. And then that's something that's just continued for, you know, millennia at this rate. That's my yeah. thought. But I don't know. I'm, I Yeah, don't I don't know. know we're, yeah, we're not fucking sociologists. Yeah. Could, it yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> could it be a 20th century construct where we where society and civilization is caught up where we have time for leisure. And this is what I was saying earlier. It's, you know, as um, uh, a straight white male, Rand, like the world is, he is not, he's like I said, he's not overly skilled in anything. He's not super intelligent. He's not like a bad person. He's 
maybe does some some questionable um, things with his relationships that maybe um, I mean whatever we can get into that later if we'd like um, but you know the world is his oyster and how can you satisfy uh, whatever that that uh, itch is if 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 you could have every itch like unchallenged right well that's the thing I started thinking about those dudes like Brandon Cabot like is this like what we were just talking about, like a, a means to keep living, to, to, to sustain life? Or is it this like other thing, this like white dude conqueror thing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is, is it that? Because, you know, just from a DNA perspective, there's all this new shit coming out about how in the steps like by what is now Ukraine and stuff like that about 5,000 years ago, there was these this group of people, white dudes, straight dudes who invented the carriage to attach to a horse essentially mm -hmm. and most of the iberian peninsula was fucking worshiping goddesses and real peace loving and and whatever for the most part these dudes come through they exterminate all baby boys all men all dudes essentially oh, wow. and replace the y chromosome of 70 percent of the population hmm. and they were the conquerors the, the, and then that iberian peninsula turns into you know the Spanish, mm -hmm. the the British, who who end up being these conquerors and shit, and it all starts with these dudes who replace the DNA of these fucking matriarchal, goddess worshiping, peace keeping, you know, essentially people, uh, uh, society, what have you, to 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 you know, with their own spunk. <laughs> <laughs> An elegant uh, Daniel Ma to such a. Uh, <laughs> I had to break it up. I had to yeah. Kurt Cobain that shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going on too much of a tear. I apologize. Yeah, but no, but, but you're you're but, right. That is a little know? probably beyond the scope of talking about this book. But there's definitely something there <laughs> that. Because um, well, they are conquering something. Is they're the impetus. conquering a mountain. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and they, they're talking about the one mountain. Uh, was something that existed before the dinosaurs. Like he makes mm -hmm. great pains to say that this thing yeah. was around even before the dinosaurs, and that's the target. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to conquer. The ancient, the oldest, the toughest, the biggest fucking thing. That's what I'm going to take down. I mean, if that's not this conqueror uh, mindset, then then what is? You know. So I want to shift gears because Please. I don't I don't think um, that we will kind of crack the nut, as it were, of the. Uh, socio uh politics political whatever it is that <laughs> yeah. like is you know driving rand and um it, that's a bigger conversation so i want to just kind of look at this book or at least guide the conversation into this idea of um art of like the artist's pursuit because there's a lot of just beautiful stuff in this book that is oh my a, god yeah that is about just the individual drive um to perfect their their art, and in this case, the art is is climbing rocks, mountains. Dude, that's why Moon and Sixpence, dear listener, mm -hmm. if you get a chance, it's all about th like these books are such a great pair for one another. I couldn't believe it yeah. when I was reading it. It's because it's exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. And if you can indulge me, <clears throat> I'm going to read a, a paragraph here. I, I oh, th I think it really exemplifies uh, this idea of individual pursuit, and it exemplifies the beauty of of that struggle. And then also just how fucking good Salter can be. Mm. He, he sometimes has some clunkers. He's got some moments, though. Dude. But You're yes, right. he does. So here we go. Holy shit. 
and how much he should give 20% of all of his royalties to um, Ernest Hemingway's right thumb. <laughs> there is climbing that is tedious and requires brutal effort. It is almost a kind of destruction. To climb without holds, without natural lines, to work against the inclination of the rock, as it were, is ugly, though sometimes essential. The more elegant way is rarer, like a kind of love. Here, the most hazardous attempt is made beautiful by its rightness, even if it means falling to one's death. There are weaknesses in the rock, flaws by which its smoothness can be overcome. The discovery of these and linking of them is the way to the summit. Oh my God, that's fucking <laughs> beautiful. Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. I, to, to me, that... So I was like nodding because that's one of the lines that that stuck with me mm-hmm. um, as well. And, and that made me think like, is is this focused on the relationship to self or the eternal? Because when you think about rocks mm-hmm. there and this is I'm stealing from a, a short story called the um, the death of the, the hanging of the school marm, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a great story. But it, it, essentially, the, the argument there is that rocks remind us that time exists Mm -hmm. because they were here before us. They'll be here after us. They are a reminder of the eternal. Um, And so because he's a because he's climbing a rock and we're talking about these scars in the rock and, 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 you know, essentially what you just read, that really made me think like about legacy, about these things that are really intrinsic to when one is doing this, when one is in this pursuit what is the purpose? Is it for the individual? Is it the relationship, the challenge to oneself? Or is it to leave something behind, to create legacy, to, to, to make your mark on, on, on the whole of humanity and, and existence? Isn't it both, right? Could, could we so argue other, that yeah. the path, you know, if you find that path to the self, you will be finding that path. You'll be part of the eternal because we're all linked in that way. Yeah. This, this, the self is just one piece of a larger whole. We could, um, you know, be philosophy 101 majors and and argue that <laughs> we could i don't know i would this i literally that that's that's the note and then the the note underneath is uh are they one and the same you know because mm-hmm. i i guess we're all on the same page then. well so um salter later on the day had finally the day finally came when they realized they would never know for certain the acts themselves are surpassed by the singular but the singular figure lives on the day finally came when they realized they would never know for certain. Rand had somehow succeeded. He had found the great river. He was gone. So the, the book posits that the way to the eternal is through realizing the self. Mm-hmm. Right? He found the great river. Which, Michelle, what do you think about finding the great river? What does that mean to you? <laughs> I have no idea. You've, Keep going. You've looked. <laughs> From our from our private conversations over the past year, which I just for the record because I'm I'm competitive, um, Nick, she was my friend first, so oh. I just want to put that out All there. All right, man. All right. Yikes. <laughs> um, over the past year, you've you've got this um, relationship to a river. You always say, you know, when you're <laughs> done, <laughs> you're going to like just jump in the river, and it's like mm-hmm. you know tongue in cheek, being a little facetious, but um, you've clearly thought about rivers more than anyone I've ever known. So, you know, when you're talking about meeting your eventual end, what do you, th- yes. what is, so thoughts? Huh. I, 
<laughs> I, I mean, hmm. This is a curious question, Daniel. I, it was just a joke I was making. Fuck off. <laughs> I was no, I'm mean, now I'm like actually thinking about it, but <laughs> this is true. I well, do. Well, I mean, often Norman McLean has a lot of thoughts about this as well. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I do often make jokes about jumping or falling in the river and never coming out. So there is some kind of strange eventuality, a finality about reaching the river. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Greeks thought about it. Um, you know, McLean has a, a, a lot of a lot of thoughts about it. The the interesting I don't know, it shows up in a lot of philosophy too. And you're making me think of when we're talking about the the loss of self and different things like that, Buddhism in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, and how these things that we see as essentially very humanist become very moralizing and become religious and 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 there's a theology that gets that gets created around them like the buddha he he didn't want it to be a religion right he's a man he's a dude and he just wanted it to be a philosophy and leave it as such and and people can't help but try and make it something more that there's something supernatural to it that there's this extra layer um and and that to me has always been really fascinating because when you think about things that salter's positing here like why why is it that we need to be part of something bigger why is legacy so important why do we need to achieve anything why is mere existence so beneath us you know mm-hmm. um and it, it's it's a kind of fascinating thing and and what kept me engaged in this was how he treated fear because if there's anything human it's fear and and to to look at how that actually was more the obstacle than anything else like we can say people are fearless we can say mm-hmm. people are this and that and you know i have a i have a really good friend who's a a guide out in montana in missoula and he he's a he's you know a, a rock climber he, he he free climbs he does all this stuff he he actually has named various routes in the rockies after major highways uh, in philly um because he's the first one to do it and when you're the first one to climb you get to name it and um and so i always thought of him as as absolutely fearless and when i was reading this i couldn't like help but put dean as rand mm-hmm. um and and go wow like how would he would he be friends with this fucking guy you know like would, would, would and i think absolutely like they would have pushed one another and mm-hmm. the fact that dude he took me up thirteen thousand feet and we tied a rope around our waist. We didn't have ropes. We were just free. And we leapt a gap of like eight or nine feet from one rock to another at 13,000 feet up in my wildest dreams. I would have never done that. But because I was there with him, I didn't think twice about it. I knew I would do it. I knew I'd make it. And, and, and that we would summit and see the top. And that, you know? and that were you Cabot or Rand? What do you think? It, the way I read those two, I would be Rand in that. Okay. And the, and and that he he was the one I was following. And, so you know. So there was there was a quote that um, I just wrote down. I'm paraphrasing. Um, they're talking to Rand about um, the things he's doing, and he's doing it by himself. Mm-hmm. And he says, "I've lost all fear of death. I only want to live." Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I'm like really fascinated by rock climbing. Uh, a couple of years ago, this movie and a book came out called Solo, uh, Free Solo. It's yeah. about a guy who climbs without 
ropes without any help, just by him in the rock. And he yep. he um, climbed. Um, uh, I know what you're talking about. And he climbed. Yeah, it's not going right now. Um, but he climbed that without anything. And I read uh, his book that he wrote. And a lot of the stuff that is said in this book is echoed some mm-hmm. 40 years later in this other El guy. El like, Thank you. Um, yeah. El Cap. Um, Steve Rogers Mountain. Um, uh, what's anyway? I'm uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that guy's name is oh fuck. What's his name? Do you remember Michelle? I don't remember his You're name. You're just making more yeah. edits for yourself here. I know. In the the movie and the book Free Solo, the climber Alex Hunold, he's not using any ropes, and uh, people often ask him, you know, are you crazy? Are you scared? And he says, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. Like, I love, I'm paraphrasing again, obviously. Um, he loves life, and he is not scared because he over plans. He plans so fucking well that, that there is no more fear because there's no doubt. He knows where mm-hmm. every foothold and handhold is going to be. And when you get to that level of, of approaching, um, I guess, any challenge, uh, it's almost Buddha-like, Nick, to kind of point back to that. Yeah. You know, when you train and you become, I don't say like one with yourself, I think that might be a little too lofty, but for lack of a better phrase, when you become one with yourself or whatever the task is that's presented in front of you, all of that shit kind of just falls away and you're just doing the thing, whether it's climbing yep. a mountain or it's teaching an awesome lesson um, or, it's, or yep. if it's selling, um, you know, good audio equipment to uh distributors throughout the world michelle <laughs> nice dan <laughs> thanks for that i'm trying to- <laughs> i gotta say that feeling and planning be the key being the key to victory and removing fear i totally i see that when when i'm making a lesson because that that's a performance yeah and planning yeah. planning could also be a substitute for practice or like putting the yeah. hours in right Putting exactly, those 10,000 yeah, 10, hours in, thing yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. But when when we're looking at this, like and and the the notion of fear and and I, I, I just don't think that the free solo dude could plan at all. Well, like he, there's still variables, you know, like you literally El Capitan is enormous. And even if you took photographs of every inch of it, there's so many variables at play there that like that human element mm-hmm. you can't discount like you can't you can't get rid of it and so i think that you know when we're looking at i don't know an essential idea but, and or, yet or, and yet he does and he did it and he does this so right i'm not i'm not saying that he's that yeah. he's not uh, by by any stretch but but i think that somewhere whether he recognizes it or not but deep in the heart of hearts the variable that exists, the human element that exists, the fact that you actually can't plan for everything has got to be the thing that is the motivator that excites the the hell out of him, that keeps him wanting to do it. Because if you do the hardest thing, right, don't you find that it's, I don't know, maybe I'm more of a Jasmine, but like <laughs> to improv and shit, to like make it up and like the success of having improv something fucking awesome than having practiced it for 400 hours. Mm-hmm. Zunk is not able to be compared, right? Like, 
I, I, I remember. But the I, stakes were a, so much higher. That's that's climbing with ropes, and then you actually will die if you are not perfect. It's not right. Right. You know. So yeah, that, it's a whole different scene. You know, yeah. it, it's, you know, you're practicing in your room, and then you step on stage at Carnegie. Right. I mean, it's, that's you know, you, you won't die, but yeah. I mean, it's 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 funny. I remember I played a show in Connecticut one time. Here he goes. Had played, <laughs> practice for for forever. Right. Yeah. We practice, practice, practice. We go up, killer set. Band that comes after us, the headliners, drummer doesn't show up. I improv the set with them. Mm-hmm. I did. I didn't even. I didn't even think about the band that I had practiced with for hundreds of hours. The improv set was so much more fun and satisfying and just like, my God, I felt like I could do literally anything. Because you couldn't. You couldn't fail. That was a no-fail situation. Yeah, I guess once you say I'm going to do the thing, you got to do the thing. And you always had that in your back pocket of, I didn't, I just got on here, you know? Yeah, I don't know these songs, so mm-hmm. I'm going to push back on that a little, sir. You actually, yeah, yeah, you actually can't. Like, I could have just been like, "What the fuck you want from me?" Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is definitely what I wanted to say. Does the last chapter happen or no? Oh, so I would say the last twelfth uh, of the book is like, what the fuck. It's like almost very a totally so. different book. But it's the very aftermath. specifically the last chapter. Which is like a Does page and a half, the last right? chapter happen? He is driving, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He found the great river. He was gone. Mm-hmm. Last chapter. It was a gray day, right? Yeah. Does the last chapter happen? Is Rand the unnamed man in the bar who meets up with the woman who's 34 years old? He makes a great deal out of talking about women's ages in this book. Yeah. Very bizarre. <laughs> Very bizarre. And it, yeah, and it's, and it's like Why not... Why did that happen? Yeah, and he's like, she was clearly 35. <laughs> it's <I> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? That is bizarre. Man, I'm glad I, for no other reason, I'm glad I mentioned that because that was really fucking weird. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even, uh, like, jot it down. But it, and I, there was, every time I saw it, I was like, but why? There was, <laughs> there was <laughs> one that was, what? she was like, oh, I thought you were 34. Oh, no, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm 34, you know. He goes, oh, I thought you were 32. I thought you were 32. Does, yeah. That, yeah. does that make a difference? He's like, I guess it's okay. It's like, what? I know. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. I, yeah, I, I don't. But but really, I I was I was. That's a salt. I thing. wanted to make sure I said this. Do we think the last chapter is real? So this is that's a this is quintessential Salter. This is how huh. a lot of his uh, novels and his short stories end. It's almost like a mirage or vision of something mm-hmm. else. And um, yes, I don't have an answer for you. I know that because it could go either way. I he like does it, it really, and well. I think it's a great ending. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I, he, he sees it. But here's the thing: he sees it there in the darkness, not a vision, not a sign, but a genuine shelter. If only he can reach it. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the shelter of normalcy. It's the shelter of the mundane that we were talking about previously. That's mm-hmm. why I wanted to fucking bring it up to tie it up. But knowing that it's a 
you know, loosely at least about this dude, Gary Hemming, who commits suicide in real life. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. really makes me makes me wonder how real this is if Salter is writing the ending that he thinks Hemming wanted, that Hemming mm-hmm. was in pursuit of, that Hemming was opposed to, mm-hmm. or is it that Rand is his own character? Like from a writing perspective, it really turned me around and it, and it had me going around in, in circles for a little while because I was like, what is he doing here? Because there's a number of things that play from reality and then fucking he he literally um salter has this quote attributed to him which is the arbitrary separation of fact like he thinks separating fact and fiction is arbitrary so like Mm -hmm. knowing that about him Mm -hmm. and then seeing these this whole book work up to this last chapter that might not be real uh and knowing that it's loosely based on this dude hemming or whatever um Mm -hmm. it just i was as you can see going around and around and around so I don't know. Michelle, what do, what do you think? Split the difference here. I, I honestly don't know, but I do love the idea that it takes place in Florida, this area that is snowless, mountainless. It's yeah. just like, the, it's the complete, like... Yeah, fucking Everglades <laughs> and shit, yeah. Yeah, it's just like the most mundane you can think of. It's as far yeah. away from this, this space um, that we were inhabiting with him for so long. And so I, I frankly don't know, but I, I do think that was a very apparent choice here. Um yeah, I, I can't help you. <laughs> That's a, that is a great point, though, right? Like, how much lamer could it be than fucking Florida? You know what right? I mean? Like, Jesus, are you going to put on your khakis and get in a golf cart to go pick up the mail at the end of your drive? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on, Mr. Costanza. And is he with the same woman from the beginning? Louise? Yeah. Because she's never named. Yeah, I didn't get that the impression woman at, the at all. But the, he does mention that she does have dark hair, and that is one of our mm-hmm. few descriptions of Louise in the beginning. That's true. Yeah. Um, That's true. But is she 32 or 34? Well, she's 32. That's the question. Yeah. Oh. But I th- oh. No, she's 34. Ah! That, that's not so bad. <laughs> that's not so bad. <laughs> that's actually his response. Um, As he's in a hammock, yeah. Um <laughs> So just a grown man in a hammock, sir. What the fuck are you? you, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, so the ending of this book is about the truth and what is true. And I think a lot of our conversation kind of points back to this idea of like, what is real, what matters. Um, uh, And and I guess I'm I'm fucking just reading from this book because I I love it. Um, Rand is talking to this unnamed woman who, I would really like to think that it's uh, Luis from the beginning, that he actually did come back for her, even though he was did, you know, terrible things in Europe, um, abandoning his kid. What a dickhead. I um, abandoned my boy. I abandoned <laughs> my boy. <laughs> He's, he wouldn't, but he wouldn't want, like, he would never... Well, he gives him in the chapter previous to the last chapter, he, he says there's a really good fishing rod in mm-hmm. that one box, mm-hmm. you know, give him, give it to the boy. No, no, that, but that's to Louise's kid, not oh, Rand's right, 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 actual right. child in right, France. Right, right. <laughs> yep, yeah, you got it. Um, so sorry, I confused that. Yeah, it's it's confused. It's why Salter made Rand so unlikable in certain moments, yet not Moon and Sixpence. Strickland is a complete not detestable. Douchebag. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, Strickland's a detestable douchebag, but. 
he's redeemed in his genius. Like genius redeems the douchebag, apparently. But there's no redemption. I don't. I don't subscribe Ray. to that by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. But in a, a lot of, you know, other artists' minds, they 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 think that that you know, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's something that's a demon that they're dealing with, and that's where it's coming out is like fuck, like because you know it's. I think artists in general are super self-conscious because they're dedicating time to something else mm-hmm. away from family, away from other people, away from this stuff. That idea of being, you know, fucking solo mm-hmm. is, is the artist's work no matter what. Even if you're in a band, even if you're whatever, you're doing it on your own and you are dedicating hours. And the most precious thing you have, which is time, is taken from others and, mm-hmm. and given to yourself. So how do you not have a complex about that? Yeah, I, I, I subscribe to that. So I'm going to end, end this, sec- this segment with the, some of the final words of um, Solo Faces by James Salter. Uh, Rand is talking to this unnamed woman, and <clears throat> she is saying, hey, well, there's this other guy in this other town that maybe I'm going to go hang out with. And Rand's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like uh, uh, Chad from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> but he's like, but baby. Why? And she said, well, because I don't know what the fuck is up with you. Are you just going to leave? And, yeah, he, and, he, and he says, um, well, I, I don't know. He says, well, what you have to do is hold on. He said, don't get scared. I am scared. Hold on. That's it. I can't tell you any more than that. It wouldn't be the truth. Hold on. She said, that's right hanging on to the truth he is so um, attached to him to the self and to what is truthful that I think that is probably what really is at the core of this book is is being hold on to the truth yeah be, be true to yourself you can't that's the only thing you can do you can't do anything else except follow your own north whatever that is so even if society labels you a self-indulgent asshole you have to own it and hold on to that as your truth. And, and I'm wondering, this book was in 79. That's probably before the tide had turned against on Rand. And I'm wondering if Salter named him Rand as a little nod. Oh, I wow. thought of that. Definitely thought of that. Yeah, I did yeah. not. I'm out of, geez, you kicked me off. How did I miss that? What a dummy. Yeah, you're smarter than that. Well, it's because it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck. I'm dumber than that. I shouldn't have got it at all. <laughs> I hate Ayn Rand. Oh, God. What a douche in her own yeah. right. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, dude. Hey, maybe. That's, maybe. My fi- that's my final thought. Fits. Yeah. End on that. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, I, I got nothing more to, to con- contribute. I think that's wonderful. Let's jump into the album. Here we go. Sparkle Horse, baby, baby. Oh, don't do 2001. that. <laughs> 2001. Um, so, yeah, this is... This is interesting because 2001 is a year where Correct. so much of my music that I consistently listen to comes from uh, because of how old I was, which was 17. So when you when you think about that, like 17 uh, anthems for a 17 year old girl, one of my favorite tunes of all time. Aww, love it. I absolutely. There is a video I watched last night. Of the guitarist from the Smiths playing that with Broken Social Scene live. Aww. It was wonderful. I will send it to you later. Um, it's it. so good. So it was interesting because as I'm listening to this, 
I couldn't help but think, oh, wow, like this is a schizophrenic album. This this album is touching so many of the contemporaries of Sparkle Horse's time in 2001. And this is my estimation. So like my initial reaction was like, this is this is like representing so many of these like broken social scene, fucking built to spill heat miser. Uh, the shins, bright eyes, like there's little bits. Even there's one song that's like a nine inch nail, like nine inch nails light. You know what I mean? Like that one that's like real kind of gritty. Oh, I know, baby. Dog door, right? And I was like, it's- I was like, wow, he is just really just tickling everything. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to look at the year that it came out and go. Some of this is before some of these albums that I'm thinking of came out. Some of this is after. Like the first song, I was like, soon you'll be leaving your man. This sounded just like that Bright Eyes B-side, mm. right? And I, I was like, oh, God. And then you look at the times, and there, there's just, there was this, uh, I guess, like amorphous thing that was happening that touched all these, these, these groups from this time period. So that was really cool. That My initial feedback was like, wow, like this is a very – very focused yet somehow schizophrenic album that's touching all these different mm-hmm. very unique yeah. vibes i guess you could say oh yeah that that's kind of my impression of it too um i wasn't familiar with sparkle horse's other work prior to listening to um this album but all of his albums are like that too no <laughs> this is his, this, yeah this is his third one and this is his most cohesive of the th- of the of wow. all of them i would say um which is very interesting. He's all over the map. And I, I think it's a, a strength. I am fascinated by his work. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting album. And I think the song you were referring to is Dog Door, which is with yes. Tom Waits. It is. It is. It's yeah. Dog Door. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people consider that like a, a low light in the album because it's so aggressively different from, I would say, the rest of the album. But I, I love it as this kind of weird kind of through line. Um, I think it fits the album perfectly, but I, I'm, I think I might be in the minority there. I have a very hard I'd time being with objective you. with this album because I just, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, this is a fantastic album. And I would totally agree with you. I think that it fits it because it also is is very very distinctly tied to the first song like that that little bit of grit that sort of like Mm -hmm. you know um you know it is aggressively different because the first song doesn't actually fit with most of the rest of the album either except for dog door you know in my opinion yep yeah no i i agree with that as well i i think if i remember this correctly he wrote the titular song it's a wonderful life because people complain about how depressing his his work usually is, and so he came up with that, the, which the is like the saddest. Like, come on, Mark, well, what's like you chaos, You know what I mean? The saddest lyrics yeah. to the most like bouncy I know. song. I know. Yeah, I know. Holy shit, Daniel! What was your uh, your what was your reason for choosing this? Well, by the way? a I fucking love this album. Um, <laughs> B, um, I thought that thematically it kind of went with solo faces in that. It, it it explores loneliness and um, uh, in in all sorts of of ways more faceted I guess on the album because you know he has thirteen tracks uh, fourteen on the vinyl I didn't realize that I have to check that out upstairs oh you bought um, the vinyl oh yeah baby Hindrick. yeah um uh you know just the individual's pursuit and it's and it's sad solo faces is often kind of a sad book and. Um, the third reason 
is that I thought that if we did solo faces, Michelle had read solo faces, and she turned me on to Sparkle Horse last summer, and oh, I I had I... planned. I was like, here we go, and I <laughs> and I don't have to do any talking for the segment because she would lead the way. <laughs> You're planning not to. Uh, yeah, that was purely selfish. I like it, and someone else can do the work. Right, right. Of course, yeah. of course. But man, um, I listened to this on loop, and particularly I Pennies. I don't know what it is about that song. It's probably so the most depressing song on the album. I'll, by far. I will just put that on loop and just go. It's a good song. And go dude. for a walk or so a bike good. ride, and just just get but lost for an hour. I gotta ask, and you guys are probably gonna fucking hate me. This is my first time listening to it. One of the songs, and I thought it might have been I Pennies, reminded me of that Elton John song. It was, <laughs> I guess that's why they call it the blue. Like, one of the songs has the exact same rhythm and cadence. It's, it's, it's uncanny. Mm-hmm. It's, one of, it's one of the, it's, it's near the end, but it's like, time on my hands <laughs> like, but that's that's the Elton John song right but holy shit if if the Sparkle Horse song isn't so goddamn close to that and so I'm listening to the album I'm like so into it and the first listen through it got to that song and I was like what is popping in you my gotta, fucking head right now you gotta you gotta get to the bottom of that cause I need to know yeah, yeah I'll <laughs> I'll I'll text you later on when I when I I can't to wait for tonight. it to be so wrong. So, <laughs> dude, listen to me. I was like, "What is this? Why is this happening to me?" Because, dude, there's there's like as far as songwriting is concerned, and can we talk about that for a minute? Like, there's some Daniel Johnston like stuff going on oh, here that God. I was like, "Oh God!" Like this is like so so unique in that same sort of daniel johnston way but like he's incorporating things you know he's not incorporating the organ in the same way and he can actually play you know the guitar and he has a voice and stuff but like and it's not a diss on on daniel johnston like he he, um his piano is his primary instrument right but the thing about it was like damn like there is there is some like Daniel Johnston, Elliot Smith crossing over type stuff here. You know, that's yeah. why I mentioned Heat Miser because it's not quite Elliot. It's more mm-hmm. Heat Miser, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it, yeah. dude, I, I, um, I was really impressed with the songwriting because I didn't find it predictable at all. Mm-hmm. And when you think about 2001, that was where shit was real predictable. And the yep. bands that I named, uh, the shins broken social scene these other ones you know like they weren't predictable and that's one thing that i think sparkle horse has going for it hugely i totally totally agree i also i think the song is comfort me it has like a twangy kind of a thing it's a little more upbeat i'm guessing that must be the one you're it's referring to because i can't think of anything else that i like be. right now i i literally want to just pull up spotify and play it but i I'm have not gonna, to know now i'm not gonna do um, it yeah i I totally agree with that. I, I love that assessment. Um, when you mentioned Built to Spill, as far as like not having the kind of predictability, that was like the first thing that came to mind about them, something that I love about Built to Spill. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, what's, oh, that one song just it keeps on popping up all the time for me. Uh, um, oh, I always want to say Gotta Lose Your Mind, but that's not it. It's something very close to that. In any case, that Built to Spill song, it's you know, like on a constant loop. <laughs> and I, like so much so that the lyrics have just become nonsense in my brain. It's just <laughs> over and over. Um, but yeah, this this is a absolutely 
absolutely fantastic album. It's amazing to look at this, you know, guy who very similarly to the man who, you know, Soul Faces is based on, mm-hmm. ends up committing suicide as well. He has this really horrific incident where, you know, he's he's essentially overdosed. His legs are pinned, right? And yep. then he, he, he has this traumatic, you know, sort of experience where he's almost loses his legs and, and things like that. And for me... I, I'm, you know, the, I had a, a a friend who um, ended up overdosing, passing out in the snow, lost his arm, and then and he was a brilliant artist, um, mm-hmm. like visual artist. He's a he's a painter. He drew and um, and then he ended up, you know, dying. It wasn't suicide, but it might as well have been kind of um, a, a few years later. And I wonder what it does to an artist to and and that was the thing like that album that came out after that everybody was like oh it's so dark because you know you have this brush with death and he was like ah fucking a lot of those songs were written but i wonder what that really does to you as as someone who creates to know that you're now compromised in some way Mm -hmm. even if it's not and and i wonder you know just to tie it back to solo phases like what it means to be doing something that requires all of you and then to become compromised in some way or to have your muse or the thing that motivates you become compromised and you in turn are then compromised, you know, which is happens in solo phases. And then we look at uh, with Sparkle Horse, like, like how temporal, not talent, but your ability to create is. That mm-hmm. struck me um, when, I, when I was sort of doing a little bit of background and research on this. I, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on like, do we have just like some people talk about that like you only have so many albums in you you only have so many books in you you only have so Mm -hmm. much x in you um like do we subscribe to that or do we think that you know um art doesn't work that way i i Hmm. I think that some people definitely have the one thing that they keep retelling um Mm -hmm. maybe for musicians it could be like I don't know, like a type of song they keep doing. Yeah, like did Kurt Cobain go out because he didn't want to write Three More Smells Like Teen Spirits? Yeah, and he probably didn't want to. No, that's what I just said. Yeah. Yeah, he did not want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> At all. So I read an article about Salter um, after he died, or it was a review of his last novel that he wrote when he was 80. and Yeah, he thought that was going to be the thing. Yeah. The one. Yep. And someone said that some artists only have one story to tell and they you know maybe by their third or fourth time they keep retelling it and then they finally get it Mm. Um, but they said all that is his last book was not it you'd expect that four decades almost after solo faces was his last novel then he wrote this story all that is you know 35 something years later You'd think that that would have been better, but it was just, I think it's not good. I actually stopped reading that one halfway through. Um, but anyway, um, back back to Sparkle Horse. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, I've, I've, I've listened to the, uh, his, the other albums, and I feel like this is the one. But that could just be this like, the one. that okay. could just be this like my, I've my to, personal yeah. taste as well. No, yeah. I think that's fair. I um, I came across this album. It was the only, the only thing of his that I'd ever listened to, and I was completely obsessed with it. Kind of, I was actually in a similar boat to you, Daniel, and I really had no interest. I tried listening to 
um, Viva Dixie, submarine transmission plot, whatever. I just didn't really vibe with it. Um, Good Morning Spider didn't really feel anything towards it. It took me literal years of trying to really get what he was doing in those mm. other albums, but I do feel like It's a Wonderful Life is like his masterpiece. I really do feel that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't like belittle the other work, right? No. You know, but but something is we're judgmental creatures and you know sometimes like you just do shit that is better than your other shit yeah Yeah. for whatever reason that is you know michelle can you give us some background on mark linkhouse um we have about seven more hours of tape here so uh (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i don't really know like a ton about his his life Mm -hmm. or anything i do know that he was pretty solitary in his actual um music making until it's a wonderful life where he was almost forced by the record label to not do every part of it himself Mm -hmm. and so that's where you get a lot of the collaborators and i think that may be part of why it's so good actually i think allowing other people to have access into his head and to collaborate created something very very beautiful that maybe he couldn't have done on his own um like i think even just like the minor notes of having pj harvey in a couple of the songs and uh, and co-writing with dick chestnut um Mm -hmm. what is it what is it um which song uh little fat baby Little Fat Baby, yeah. yeah, which I just adore. It's like so sweet, and that's actually exactly how Vic Chestnut writes. All of his songs were like that. Um, also really sad that Vic Chestnut also killed himself a few months before um, before Mark did, and he was like super shaken up about it. It was probably part of the reason why he also committed suicide. Kind of a downer, but yeah, um, yeah they oh, were really goodness. close. Um, downer cast. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so gloomy. I know it is the gloom gloom cast as it's labeled down <laughs> yeah. here. So, um, but yeah, I I just I am. This is my seventh most apparently according to Last FM. It's my seventh most listened to album of all time, and that is um, oh, a pretty wow. high bar. I listen to music constantly. Um, it's one of those things that I came across it from an ex who had exquisite taste in music and he was a horrible person otherwise but um he would i don't know if you've ever i'm sure you've experienced this where someone kind of casually recommends a a band or a musician to you and they're just kind of like yeah they're pretty chill and then you listen and it like blows your mind and you become like a way bigger fan than the person who originally um recommended it to you yes (laughs) absolutely i'm wearing the t-shirt of one of them i had a buddy who i played in a band with who was like oh dude i think you'd like q and not you they're literally my favorite band. And he was I just like, yeah, I think you, oh, dude, they're fucking great. They were signed to, okay. they're signed to Discord. So like Fugazi found them and stuff. And oh, um, they're, okay. they're, they're incredible. They're like dance punk from the 2000s. Uh, first album came out in 2000, 2000. So them and uh, another one of my friends, she was like, oh, here's uh, this band uh, Gang of Four. I think you might enjoy them or whatever the <laughs> fuck. And I was like, fuck, like they're <laughs> so fucking good. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, oh my God, I totally agree with that. That's like, that's, oh, that's the best. It's the best. It's and the I, I like best. being, I love being the person who kind of casually recommends a thing that the person just goes buck wild over. It's a really good mind. feeling, yeah. you know? I can't feel like to Daniel, Daniel, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I kind of feel like I have been, it's kind of went from me, from my ex to me, and then now I'm like passing it off to Daniel, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Yeah, everybody's going to go home and, and, and listen to uh, Gang of Four and Q, not you, and go, oh yeah, Nick's, Nick's, Nick's just a dummy. 
This is, this is <laughs> almost unlistenable. <laughs> no, Gang of Four is awesome. I, I yes. can say for sure. I, I, um, I got to see them uh, right before the guitarist passed away a, a few years ago. Oh, wow. They always came through Philly, so I, I, I got to oh, see wow. them like two or three times. That's yeah, cool. It was, it was very sweet. Yeah. I was So going back to the album, I was just like, I was kind of surprised. When I first started talking to Daniel, we were talking about all kinds of stuff, his book, music, and I kind of just threw out Sparkle Horse. And I didn't really know like if it would land. I recommended it. When I worked at Barnes & Noble, I was trying to sling that album <laughs> to every person who came in. I would like play it illegally on the speakers. Um, nice. And people would come in and be like, can you please turn that off? <laughs> And like some people just really didn't get it. And so I'm very like careful about recommending it because it really isn't for everyone. Um, but I thought Daniel would appreciate it. And like he just totally took it. And I, I, I think you explained to me why. But like what what drew you to it so much? Did I, I explain why? I think so. There you were a lot know. of messages. There were a lot of messages in those email chains. And so I, I don't and know. I was high for most of them. So I that's true. You were. <laughs> um, I really love sad introspective music um i don't know it's just what my internal clock is beating to um, wait the guy who recommended the decemberists is into that kind of music <laughs> since when <laughs> get out of town S- slow sad music man that's all day every day man i don't know there's Throw a shanty in there and you're into yeah, it that's right there's this great there's this great <laughs> meme um where it's like you wake up and the first thing you do is put on a sad song and then the bottom is like your brain's like you're not even going to try to be happy today are you yeah <laughs> no intention yeah so yeah um that that's really what drew me to it and i guess something in uh michelle and i's conversations led her to you know share that with me i mean her fucking handle is gloomsday so i mean come on <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah shouldn't be that much of a surprise Gotta own that yeah. a little bit. And I love um, recommendations from, uh, you know, I mean, the true gatekeepers of music, the uh, Barnes and Noble music section yes. clerks. <laughs> you know, exactly, I know. The last bastions <laughs> of of culture and taste. <laughs> taste, yeah. yeah. Do they even exist anymore? Like, yeah, there's one and the one that I go to, and I go in, and I was like, I have never bought something from this section, and I never will. That yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. So, <laughs> yeah. Independent record shops all the way, man. All oh, the yeah. way. 100%. Main Street Music, baby. Uh, I almost did it again, but then I like I t- tempted it down. Tamped it for you, Daniel. For sure. Um, I don't know what more to say about it other than like my biggest thing was like if you if you heard the like list of bands that I went through in the mm-hmm. beginning and, 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 and any of the elements of those bands resonate with you, you should check out sparkle horse like you i don't I, I really don't know what else to say other than that because like it really just like it, it blew my mind how many things it could touch and not feel like it was biting on mm-hmm. you know yeah. what i mean like and, the, yep. and and knowing that they were cont- it felt like they were contemporaries of each other and that you're you're able to like you know just just dip your toe in all these things and and it made me wonder like because you know you hear something you go oh you're ripping them off whereas with this mm-hmm. i was like oh did they rip you off oh did you use did mm. you use that old-timey slang did you say biting like for a Dude, slang of copying i don't give a fuck about being <laughs> old i don't give a fuck no i no I, I don't you realize i say peep and my <laughs> students say it as w- well like 
Stuff comes back, dude. Yeah, no. So listen, I wasn't say what you feel. I wasn't busting your balls about that. So that surprise. That little outburst was all internal Astounded. shit from you. That was your. Oh, okay. That was your own processes coming I, up. I I I, 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 I just, just wanted clarity. That's I've reconciled with yeah. myself is to not care. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it. Um, I wanted to clarify that you're saying copying because I took it when you said it. Um, it doesn't bite off of the, it. Touches so many things, but it never bites. Yeah. Off of others, I took that as this album's got a very gentle, soft hand, and it's oh, okay. and it's caressing these um, yeah. dark themes without very ever little. being so aggressive in your face. Yeah. I am sad, or you. Yeah. We're all a little fat bait. Like that's that's true. Yeah, it's not "Son of Sam" by Elliot Smith. It's a very gentle you know? approach here. It's, it, it almost. It's not soon you will be leaving your man. Yeah, it cradles you. It says, "Oh, let's be. Yeah. Let's." Let's kind of wallow in this fucking existence together. And I think that's yeah. what I really like about it. It's like a, it's very comforting. Oddly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even, even Dog Door, you know? Is weirdly comforting, yeah. Because it's it. always tough. Well, because it's like the album still by Nine Inch Nails. And you know what I mean? Like, it's that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I that's that's my final thought on uh, on the album absolutely yeah uh, mine is exactly that if you want to get wrapped in a nice sad cocoon macabre quilt yeah ooh, ooh, ooh I like that <laughs> I'm gonna check this out I'm gonna actually edit that out if you yeah. want to get um, Daniel slid right off their seats <laughs> if you would macabre quilt if you want to get wrapped in a nice macabre quilt. This is this is for you, um, a cob quilt. Are you trademark. biting on me right now? Are you biting on me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fuck that up for you. Um, trademark. That's my that's my um, that's all getting edited out. So you, I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm editing this cast. Remember? <laughs> uh, that's my final thought. Um, it's a wonderful life, is almost a paradox in itself. Um, in, was this a uh, actually I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt go for it um, it's a paradox in the the title and what it what it um, pretends to posit because mm -hmm. you left one you, you, you finished the album and I would not say that I finished this thinking it's a wonderful life <laughs> so much as no. that it's a beautiful life um, or that, that mm -hmm. there is beauty in the world um, and that there is, to quote Kirk Cobain, there is a comfort in being sad, and I think that's my final my final thought. Yeah, you only know it's beautiful when you recognize how macabre it can be. Yeah, when you're wrapped in that. There's quilt. he literally well, and it's not I guess it's not his lyric, but there is a song in one of his earlier albums that is just called "It's a Sad or Sad and Beautiful World," mm -hmm. um, and so I think that is pretty much his kind of manifesto um, mm -hmm. in all of his albums, what he's trying to say, and I think you I think you hit it pretty on the head here that I think is his masterpiece is what he really posits it. Um, yeah, it's good. Do we know if this was like a commercial success when it came out? None of his albums were. This was, I think, his most commercially successful. Yes. With like 63,000 albums sold. Yep. Not very many. So yeah. interestingly, the movie, which is now a Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, mm -hmm. was an absolute flop when it came out. 
it was mm-hmm. just hot garbage that nobody wanted to see and thought it was so ridiculous, right? And mm-hmm. so, interestingly, there's a parallel there as well. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. To, to jump off that, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie, that only became popular because the rights lapsed because nobody's like, who cares about this? And yep. it was a free movie to show all the time. So it got burnt into our consciousness in like the 60s and 70s. Um, yeah. And you were there, and, and he was there. And I, I, I saw all of you. Oh, my God. Mary! It's great. Mary! Mary! Well, what can you play on the piano? Can you play? Clarence! Clarence! Sorry. Where? Keep going. <laughs> Michelle, no, that's all Michelle it's your turn. Give us your Jimmy yeah, Stewart. No, no. <laughs> nope, nope. I'm just an audience member here. It's fine. <laughs> Clarence. Let's jump into these beers, shall we? The bottle's so small, Please. I can't get my feet in. It It is a... It's interestingly and very... Obviously, this is 12 ounces, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. I don't know what uh, 330 mLs means. Probably 11.2, I think. 33 centiliters. Oh. Yeah, 11.2. That's pretty standard. For the other part of the world, yeah. That's all. So, it's, pretty, it's a pretty standard cervix size. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking, go to a craft brew bar at least once. Guy, come on. Come on. Um, so... Daniel and I are doing the Rodenbach Grand Cru, uh, aged in oak Fyodor's. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> is a uh, That's a uh, Belgian for uh, Fyodor's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a red ale, yeah, made in Belgium. We're talking about it at six percent. Um, I mean, it smells exactly like a sour. Exactly like a sour, like a little the uh, lactobacillica is in here. This is it smells this a is, little uh, because it's I'm a, sorry, a Berliner Weiss. I, I apologize. Is that what you no get out of here? Oh, a Berliner Weiss, <laughs> right, 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 right. I know what you mean. Yeah, um, yeah, but since it's a red, a red brown, it definitely has a little bit of that. Um, it's like the yard's pink. If anyone's ever had the for the Philly people around here, the yard's pink is very similar in 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 effervescence. There's a tartness to it, but it doesn't. It's not like um, uh, super tart, <laughs> to be very particular. Yeah, way to way to articulate yeah. that. Yeah, uh, Michelle, yours. This I I am so jealous that you are just like able to sample these micros from good old Portland whenever you fucking feel. I know. I feel very lucky, and I feel like I squander that often um i'm not as big of a beer drinker as i probably should be living here but yeah so i have an ecliptic brewing uh it's a karina peach sour and it's uh let's see here five percent uh 16 fluid ounces i am just uh going to town it's here a on this beautiful label too that's uh, so cool it is really pretty yeah that's kind of what uh, drew me to it. i do kind of i judge a book by its cover with um Same with the microbrew means. covers like the the labels mean a lot to me and they're kind of fun to to collect a little bit um, but yeah, it says here, loaded with fresh peach flavor. Karina is a crisp sour ale with a tart and refreshing finish. Perfect for any time of the year. Apparently a time of the day as well, because day drinking is what it's all about right now. So, and I would agree with that. It's it's kind of one note. I would say that it's just like very, very tart. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's got the peaches in it. That's interesting. It's got the peaches in it. Sour and you can peach. very much tell. Yeah. Yeah. I, it kind of is like the the peach rings. I, I would say like oh, it's nice. removed the, the sugar and you got the peach rings right there for sure. Nice. Nice. So like uh, yeah. peach rings with like a singular sour patch kid. Yes, that is a really good descriptor of it actually. Oh. It, this is something that very much appeals to me. I'm not not much into the whole like 
you know, IPAs, double IPAs. There's just, it's something about the flavor doesn't really appeal to me, but sours I can do. And I love anything that reminds me of any vaguely amount like Sour Patch Kids. So it's you're, oh, I'm it. with you a thousand percent. It's because <laughs> you're not an asshole. That's why you don't like IPAs. Oh, I, I feel like this is a targeted thing at Nick possibly. <laughs> uh, which one? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Let, let's, uh, let's cheers. Cheers, my Because I'm yeah. very excited to try this one. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Oh, that is, my God. This is delicious. I love everything about Holy this. Holy sh- I want it. I have some FOMO now. Shit. <laughs> wow. This was in my... Dude, I love. You don't have to have the fear because you actually dude. are missing out. So yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's you just true. have. You, you just have no mo. FOMO. You, mo. you just have straight up mo. Uh, <laughs> wow, dude. Like I, this is the best. I will. Daniel send me a text. He'll be like, check your mailbox, brother, and I'll go to the mail, and this will be waiting for me. Like it's fucking. What, what kind of life is this? Incredible. That's fucking friendship right there. Love it. Well, oh yeah. I'd love to see it. it. Feels, Sometimes it's a pastry. It feels four blocks away. Fuck yourself. Yeah. Fuck yourself. Yeah, if That's I was fair. up on green, he'd be like, no. Yeah, it's uphill. DuPont. All right. Yeah, I can't wait around. Um, I guess I'll make so, it this there. is Rodenbach Grand Cru, and just a little bit of history, very, very brief. Um, Grand Cru, uh, to my knowledge, meant like their best beer. This was the flagship. This is the best we can mm-hmm. do. And oh, okay. So, Rodenbach, they do other stuff. I didn't put a pass on This is definitely great. Rodenbach is a great brewery um but there's just something about this grand crew because i love sours but some sours they get a little too uh sour for their own uh sour patches as it were Ooh. yeah they outgrow the patch <laughs> yeah, yeah right they're like sour patch adults it's like whoa 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 yeah, 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 just yeah, for yeah. kids baby just for kids yes kids get out of the come ball on. pit come on yeah um, you the tricks bunny yeah. get out of here <laughs> um so uh, this says it's a Rodenbach Grand Cru is an exceptional. Ooh, they're they're, they're braggadocious, a little loving on yeah. themselves. Wow. Flemish red brown ale that owes its fresh and sour taste and complex fruitiness to its lengthy partial maturation in wooden oak casks. Yeah, so that makes it dude. that there's a mellowness to it that yeah. really lets this beer become very very drinkable. Again, I love sours, but some of them are. Like, man, you are just puckering. So this is like a sour, and um, let's just talk for a few minutes about sours. I feel like maybe the past 10 years ago, they really started kind of making an emergence, but then all these dickheads mm-hmm. said, oh, no, we like hops again, and let's make them hazy now. <laughs> and So everybody, yeah. they grew beards and started dick-eating on hops. Um, <laughs> dick-eating, a term that Michelle did not know. <laughs> Oh, is that, an East, is that an East Coast yeah. thing? Oh, I think wow. so. No or maybe shit. I'm just out of That's out a 10-year-old term as well, though. That's More a, than that. That's, that's, <laughs> like, that's close to my bite, <laughs> yeah, biting yeah. on shit. Like, like <laughs> Dick Eater is, is an is a older... That's like, yeah, that's like yeah. before 2010. That was super popular. Listener, uh, I might, do like it. It might be Philly. It might be Philly. Who knows? Yeah. Philly, Who knows? New York kind of so, situation. So all these uh, jabronis started Dick Eating on hops. <laughs> Now you've gone yeah. off the rails. Yeah. Um, but I feel like sours, <laughs> a lot of people with like class and taste have come around to like, oh, there are other beers. And they sours are starting to make a reemergence. 
Um, mm-hmm. Which yep. is good because I think, you know, we live in a golden age of beer and the more styles oh, yeah, that shit. we can experience. Um, I go to the liquor, to the beer distributor in, in Philadelphia, Michelle, in Pennsylvania. Our laws are so fucking weird that yeah. we have to go to different stores for different alcoholic um, uh, purchases. Yeah, well, there's still, yeah, they're, they're holdovers from like the Puritan era yeah. still, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, because we have so many, like, the one cool thing is like you can, you and your partner can marry each other. Because mm-hmm. Quaker. Quaker law yeah. states, so the Quakers, you know, it's a Quaker. That's why we're a Commonwealth and not a, yeah. you know, whatever. And so in any case, like you can do different things, but some things that were still on the books still very recently. You've got to like, go to a beer distributor for a case yeah. of beer. So exactly. huh. you go to the beer distributor, and all the variety packs are, you know, four out of the five beers are are IPAs. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. But some are starting to put their um, tart or sour summer offerings in these variety packs which is which mm-hmm. is nice um do you get mm-hmm. victory out there michelle do you get victory I don't, that's not familiar no i don't think so because they have um a triple which is the which is the golden monkey mm-hmm. which is like 10 or 12 percent and then they have its counterpart the sour monkey which is like 10 or so percent nine, and it's nine percent sour. on the nose yeah Ooh. with your accuracy huh. what are you gonna go free solo something now jeez i'm planning Christ. baby i'm planning my drunk <laughs> I don't want any surprises. I have no fear because I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is so fucking good. <laughs> I, I can't. He's, he's chugging it and it's what at nine? What is it? Six percent? So you could. It's nine percent. This one's six. You're upside. This bottle's it. upside yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. You know what it was? Before that, I had the, the dogfish head 90 minute mm. as my like my like snack. Mm. And um, that was uh, that was that was not a snack. That was a whole king size Kit Kat bar. So. <laughs> the reason that I picked the Rodenbach Grand Cru is that Michelle yesterday said that, yeah, I, I, I got a beer. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, what was that? What was that? A beer. And she said, it's a peach sour. And I said, great. We can match. I'm going to get the best sour ever, yeah. ever made. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are, what are you, what are you guys' thoughts on sours? I love them. It's, it's been a staple in oh. my, my repertoire for, for at least 15 years. Um, how about you guys? Love. Uh, there, it's my favorite kind of beer by far. I can I can drink it more easily and readily than any other kind. It's just it's perfect on my palate. Um, even the really really sour ones, the ones that are almost like picklebacks. I'm like, yep, I'm. How, let's do how it. do I not um, know this about you? I feel like I know everything about you except this. <laughs> everything. <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> oh no. What is um, the yeah. pickle one? There is a pickle one, and it's good. Yeah. There. Yes. There, so. I'm trying to remember what a pickle, like a pickleback is like actually, I think it's like vodka and then you, you take a shot oh, of shit. pickle juice and it's, it's good. It's really good. That sounds um, delicious. You know what I, you know, yeah, you know I what I tell my uh, customers when they used to ask for that? What? Fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yourself or, or out of pickle juice. <laughs> oh God. I am. Oh. I wish you were still working there. I would go bring like a ridiculous gang of four album for you to play and then go, Hey, give me like 18 picklebacks. See, I had to run to the, to the walk and to get the pickle juice. Yeah, I would have probably just asked for one and then felt bad about it. But like, that sounds delicious, Michelle. Do they, yeah. is that like one of those? Because in Philly we have the um, special, which is typically three to five dollars. You get a pounder, which is usually a paps, and you get a shot okay. of like Heaven Hill whiskey or something like. Well, that. The, yeah, right, the, the right. traditional is it's called a citywide, and the traditional is I think it's I think it's paps and it is paps, Jim yeah. Beam, right? It depends where you're at. I think. Okay. 
I like Heaven Hill, so usually if I see that there, I know it's bottom shelf liquor, yeah. but I prefer it. <laughs> so I'll say that. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I've always I've always customized my city wines, to be honest. Spoken like a ch- but I, I, 32-year-old. Wait till you hit yeah, 34. Yeah. It's, things will yeah. change. <laughs> I actually, I don't think the pickleback thing is a Portland thing. I actually discovered it in Arizona. Um, I don't know anyone who does it here, really. Um, but there is a really... Um, awesome emergent uh sour kind of community in portland and there are some incredible breweries that specialize only in sours um there's one in particular that oh my god so you just go and just get these incredible like dark cherries and they're Ooh, barrel nice. aged and they have whiskey yeah. oh my god it's just they're stunningly good they're also incredibly expensive but they have to age them for a really long time so it kind of makes sense yeah, those barrels um, aren't cheap yeah yeah no um, so yeah, I would say yeah, for sure sours are my favorite. Um, and I just, there really hasn't been a sour that I've come across that I haven't really liked, to be honest. And I've tried a lot of them. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Moving on. Yep. Um, moving on. So final, I got nothing, fi- I got nothing left to say. Yeah. Final thoughts on the sour, your favorite beer ever. Danny did a good job. So you, this is so you such did a, a fucking so you good, did a good job, Danny. Daniel, you did. <laughs> Danny Tell did a good job. <laughs> he, he did a fantastic job. I love how you brought it back to that need for validation. Absolutely. I did need it. That's why I, was, I never got it. Yeah, I know, but it was an, a, an intrinsic theme to the book. I know. Yeah. I never got it from my father, so I'm trying to get it from you because I look up to you. <laughs> <laughs> you are my cabot. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Wonderful. My final thought is that this is a very good beer. They, they nailed it, calling it their grand crew. Um, yep. I love... Belgian beers that are seemingly very simple. It's just, hey, we just got this kind of red brown ale that was going to age in these casks. There's, there's, and, and it, this is a good tie into to the book and um, I think the album is that there's a beauty in the kind of simpleness here that that, in a way, lends itself to complexity. But there's not a there's not a ton going on, but it, it's so fulfilling, no, yeah. right? Even from the label, yeah. you know, you just really have this 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 silver gray label it's true to itself it's not trying to be anything it isn't here's this thing it's uh it's yeah. honest and drink it motherfucker drink it motherfucker it's also like almost a year old so it's aged it's aged and then aged again uh i mean i mean <laughs> that could also just be because of um 2020 you know who knows who true yeah you know by the time this, this was on that ship that got stuck in the canal yeah <laughs> Uh, Michelle, final thoughts on your beer? Yeah, it kind of uh, it is up to par with what I was expecting. It's it's a sour. It's got the peach. I can't really complain. It's great. You heard it there, folks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> simple, simple support and clean. Your there it goes. Micro-brews, support your local brewers. You know, but deal. also try new things. All right, I've got a rating you know? system. Yes. All right, here we go. Oh. Um, our rating system is sour sacks of sadness. Jesus. Oh. Salter's sour sacks of sadness. I give solo faces um, seven out of eight sour sacks of sadness. I give it's a wonderful life eight out of eight sour sacks of sadness, and I give the Rodenbach Grand Crew. They nailed it. This is the Grand Crew. Eight out of eight sour sacks of sadness. I'm pretty happy tonight. This is good. Oh, yeah. Well, 
Why is it out of eight? Why is anything anything? It's arbitrary. It's arbitrary. He makes it's it arbitrary? up every, every single time. He just changes it on you. Oh, I love that. You have no frame of reference. <laughs> you have, I write them down half the time because I have no fucking idea what the hell is going to come next. Do you want to go? Go for it, Michelle. Am I up? Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to give Solo Faces... I'm going to give it six out of eight. <laughs> am, I, am I following this right or should I make up something? No, no, no. You have to, you have to say... Uh, sour Sacks of Sadness. Yeah, sour sour sass, sacks of sadness. Okay, six six out of eight. I'm gonna give. I have, I'm completely objective here. Um, <laughs> eight out of eight sad sour sacks of sadness for Sparkle Horse. It's a wonderful life, and I'll give the uh, the ecliptic peach sour a seven out of eight sour sacks of sadness. Ooh, this is a solid. This is a solid cast. Is. I, I'll say I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give Soul Faces a six point five. Out of eight, Ooh. sour sacks of tough sadness. but fair. Tough but fair. That's how I like to be. Um, I'm gonna give pa. Uh, what'd you say? Pa. I'm gonna give Sparkle Horse <laughs> a seven out of eight, sour sacks of sadness. Um, and I'm going to give the Road and Black an eight out of eight. Come on, come I mean, on, dude. There was no other rating possible for that. Jesus. Oh fuck! So Where do you good. even go from here? I, to Florida, I guess. I guess, yeah. In a in a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> go to Florida and look at the. Um, you see what I think the last chapter is. Yeah. <laughs> in the dusk, the Florida rain. The Florida rain. The cold, Florida rain. That's the guns. Are, that, that was the original <laughs> lyric, but it just they realized that wouldn't sell. The cold Florida rain. So I said, Axel, <laughs> November is so cooler. Yeah. Come on, Axel. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, my name's Axel. Do you really think I can? All right. Um, I don't know the socials. If you've made it this far, you know where to find us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> oh, we love you. Thanks for hanging in. Thank you very much to Michelle. Thank you for having me. Oh, yes. Thank you for being on.